sooner I start preaching, the sooner I stop preaching. The sooner I stop preaching, the sooner we start eating. Sounds good. I like, I like days like this. I love my church. Love my church. Last week, uh, we took a look at some of the warnings that the Bible has for those who would try to pursue spiritual maturity without actually addressing the maturity of their minds. Uh, We talked about having a mature mind as part of the process of being fully mature. And I gave you a word a week ago to describe what I'm really talking about when I talk about having a mature mind. The word I gave you was theology. Now, theology doesn't have to refer to the work that college professors and PhDs do in stuffy offices with a lot of old books. Theology need not be nearly that complicated. The word theology literally means God words. It's the words that we use to describe and talk about God. So we all do theology each and every time we talk about God or discuss God or talk about things related to God and growing up spiritually, becoming, as we've said these last several weeks, becoming fully mature has to include developing a good, strong theology, a solid understanding of what the Bible says is true about God. And as we saw last Sunday, last Sunday, I kind of gave you the, the negative side of that, the warning or the admonition message, bad theology from a mind that has hasn't yet matured, can be very, very dangerous. Today, I kind of want to give you the more encouraging message, the other side of the coin, the flip side of that message. I want to explore what the Bible says about the many blessings that come from developing mature minds of, of, of having good theology. And so I'm going to read to you today a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews Beginning in chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to read today from a translation of the Bible that I don't often use when I preach. It's it's called The Message. Some of you maybe are familiar with it. The Message is a fine translation. I don't use it very often when I preach because, frankly, it's usually not very good for preaching. Rather than translating the ancient texts word for word or even phrase for phrase, The message is a very inaccurate, on purpose, an inaccurate translation that tries to capture more the essence of what the original authors were saying and and, and kind of translates that very broadly, restating the main ideas in modern English. And, And so it's fine for reading, but it tends to not be very useful for actual Bible study or preaching. It does, however, sometimes really, I think, capture the heart behind what the scripture is saying. And I think in this particular passage, it does so, so well that I decided to use it today. So reading from the message translation in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, and I'm going to read into chapter 6, verse 3. I have a lot more to say about this, but it is hard to get it across to you. Since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening. Don't worry, it'll get encouraging later. (laughs) By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. So come on, let's leave this preschool finger painting exercises on Christ 
and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. The basic foundational truths are in place. Things like turning your back on salvation by self-help, turning in trust toward God, baptismal instructions, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. God helping us, we'll stay true to all of that. But there's so much more. So let's get on with it. Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed that. Preschool finger painting exercises. I can assure you that's not precisely what the original Greek says, but that, that's very much what the author is saying here. Clearly, the author of this letter is trying to encourage his readers to prioritize learning and understanding God's word because it's an important aspect of becoming fully mature. If I could take this passage that I've just read and, and just kind of boil it down and restate it for myself, I would say three things. I would say this. I would say maturity should include a desire to know and understand more. That's what the author was saying when he was saying, I wish we could discuss more topics, but you haven't progressed. That's not what maturity looks like. You should have been growing. Something's wrong with your growth process. Maturity should include a desire to know and understand more. I would say this. Why should it include that? So we can become participants, not just consumers. That's why he talks about teachers. Teachers are participants in the learning process. For a teacher, it's not about what you can learn. It's about what you can help someone else learn. He's saying you should have, you should have progressed beyond that point. And the third thing I would say is we want to do that so that we can reap the benefits of a mature mind. That's why the author is saying, there's so much more. Come on, he's, he's not, okay, maybe he's a little scolding the people, but it's not about scolding for scolding's sake. He's saying, I wanna awaken you to the fact that God has more in store for you. There's so much more. The best reason for developing a mature mind is that the process itself yields blessings. And that's the encouragement that I really want us to hear today. You've been part of the HRCC family for a while. You know that we are, you know, we had this baby boom a couple of years ago. Seven babies born in one year, uh, two the year following. Um, and those babies are all turning two years old now. Can we just pause and pray about that? <laughs> Uh, those that have had two-year-olds in their home know that one of the hallmarks of the toddler years is their habit of continuously asking, why, why, why? Have you ever had that, that conversation? Come on, honey, it's time to brush your teeth. Why? Because we brush our teeth at bedtime. Why? Because we want to have healthy teeth. Why? So we can eat yummy food. Why? Because we like yummy food. Why? Because it gives us energy and it makes our bodies healthy. Why? Because that's how God made us. Why? Because he, and pretty soon you're saying, just brush your teeth. I mean, that never happened in my household, but I'm sure you can imagine how it might happen in a less sanctified saint's home. Most every parent has lived, <laughs> I can't even keep a straight face on that one. 
Most every parent has lived through moments like this. And while these kinds of conversations for parents who just want their kids to go to bed, they can be very, very frustrating. I think most of us, even as parents, realize that these are actually normal conversations for a toddler. These are indications that a little mind is healthy, that a little mind is growing up, that a little mind is learning about the world. And that is a very good and wonderful and healthy thing. And so I just share that to say this, it's exactly the same way in our spiritual development. Hunger for knowledge is a sign of a healthy mind. Hunger for knowledge is a sign of a healthy mind. The growth of our spiritual understanding, of our, of our theological knowledge is something that should be happening. And that's why the author of the passage we read earlier was frustrated with his readers. He wasn't the parent saying, would you just brush your teeth and stop asking why? He was the parent that was saying, I wonder why you've never asked why. He was the parent that was frustrated because their kid never wanted to know why. He said this to them. He said, by this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. But here I find that you still need somebody to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one. Can I give you this? I hope this is an encouragement. I hope you thought of this before, but I'm gonna say it just in case you haven't. If you ever find yourself, if you ever find yourself in a Christian community where the leaders have told you that you don't need to study the Bible, that you don't need to ask questions, that you don't need to learn, that, you don't, that all you ever need to do is to listen and obey to the ones who have learned it for you, if you ever find yourself in a community like that, leave that community. That's an unhealthy community, and it doesn't reflect what the Bible says about growing fully mature. You were designed to ask questions when the Word of God is read. You hear that? You were designed, that's the way God made you to interact with His Word. You were designed to ask questions when the Word of God is read. And I've found that too many new believers think, there's something wrong with them if, if they don't understand everything that's being taught or everything that's being talked about at church. There's too many new believers who sit in a church service and go, I didn't even know there was two Thessalonians. How many Thessalonians are there here? What are we talking about? There's too many new believers. I don't know what he's saying. I don't, I don't understand that. And they think, well, there must be something wrong with me. They look around and they, everybody else seems to know what's going on here. They all stood up. I didn't even know it was time to stand up. They all knelt down. I didn't even know it was time to kneel down. And they think there's something wrong with me. I better just keep a low profile and try not to stick out and just skate by. If that's the message that we've been giving you, forgive us. We've been giving you the wrong message. We were designed to ask questions, to learn. The opposite of what I just said is true. Your church is supposed to be a place where, where you can grow up spiritually. A healthy mind asks a ton of questions on its road to maturity. It hungers for knowledge and it's eager to grow up. You know, I get a lot of calls during the week. I get a lot of uh, emails. I get a lot of texts during the week from, from members of the congregation asking me about this, that, or the other thing. Uh, some of my favorite calls and contacts are, are the ones that I get from people who have been thinking about something that they read in their Bible or something that they 
heard in church and they want to ask questions. They, they say, hey, could you explain this to me? Or, or could, could I come in? Could we have an appointment? Could we just sit down? You said something on Sunday and I'm not sure I understand what you meant by that. Could we talk about that? That was different than what I expected you. Could you just send me a note and explain to me what you were thinking? I remember uh, when, when Dawn Cahill first got saved, she made an appointment to come in. She said, Pastor, Holy Spirit. Do you remember that, Dawn? You're like, Holy Spirit. Uh, and basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but she, she said to me, so what is that? <laughs> and over the course of months upon months upon months, Dawn kept coming in and, and making appointments. Could we sit down? Could we talk? She'd send me an email. She started going through my books on my shelves. Can I, can I borrow this book? Can I borrow this? It says Holy Spirit. And she, just, she was so hungry. She was so hungry. I could pick on different ones of you. I just knew that Dawn would let me. I didn't ask her, but I knew that she would let me. That have encouraged me. You have blessed me because you haven't just sat there and said, yeah, whatever. You said, huh, well, what do you mean by that? Is there more to be said about that? Could we talk about that? Could we learn about that? You know what that means when you do that? It means you're healthy. It means you're growing. It means you're doing exactly what God wants you to do, but it takes effort to do that, doesn't it? It's easy to just kind of sit back and, and let church happen or let life happen, but it takes effort to do that. I said it a couple weeks ago, growing up is hard to do. It takes commitment and it takes almost limitless energy. And energy for growth requires the proper kind of fuel. There are those in the room not currently on the platform right now, but certainly in the room, there are those who have good habits about exercising and, and going to the gym. And those of you that are in that category, you're gonna know how important it is. You could tell us all how important it is to give your body the proper kind of fuel before the workout begins, right? Because the growth that people look for in the gym, whether it's muscle growth or endurance growth or growth in their cardiovascular capacity, whatever kind of growth that you're looking for in the gym, that growth can only happen if the body has been given the proper kind of fuel ahead of time. And one of the things we have noticed in the church world is that too many people give up on their discipleship journey when they reach predictable points of transition in their lives. Uh, Justin, I think, just kind of referred to this in what he was sharing, and I agree entirely. Let me tell you what I'm describing. We have discovered in, in the church that we do an okay job of, of reaching kids, but then we lose too many of them when they become teenagers. We do a decent job of, of reaching teenagers, but then we lose too many of them when they go to college. We do a decent job of, of reaching young adults, but then we lose too many of them when they get married or when their careers start. And on through life, it's those transitional points when life changes that we see as at-risk moments for discipleship. They're at-risk moments in this journey towards becoming fully mature. We even have a word for it in the church world today. Maybe you've encountered this word. We call it deconstruction. Deconstruction is this process that people are talking about a lot these days. People who have grown up in the church who begin to purposefully set aside their faith or deconstruct their faith. Why? They say, because it no longer works for me. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't feel relevant to where I am now. 
I think one of the reasons for that is that we in the church have not done a good enough job of giving young believers the right kind of spiritual fuel for growth beyond where they are now. We meet them where they are now, but we neglect the part about giving them the proper kind of fuel for growth beyond where they are now. So, for instance, we see kids and we develop kids' programs, and we give kids a kid-sized theology. But then they find it insufficient when they become teenagers, and so they abandon it. Or we meet teens, and we give teenagers a teenage-sized theology. But then they go to college, and they find out it's insufficient for the challenges that await them on their campus, and so they abandon that faith. We give successful adults a success-oriented theology. But then they find it insufficient when their life meets some sort of crisis. Well, I I wasn't prepared for this. I hadn't grown beyond the happy points, the honeymoon stage. And so they abandon that faith. We need to be more intentional about helping mature believers tackle a more robust theology. We need to invite them to think about things and talk about things that won't merely satisfy them now, but will fuel them for growth beyond where they are now. We need to give them a meaty theology because a meaty theology fuels growth. A meaty theology fuels growth. I want you to think about that. Well, I have just a sip of water here. I want you to think about a meaty theology. Mm, Hallelujah. I hope there are no vegetarians in the room today. (laughs) I love you and I honor you, but I fear I may offend you in the next minute or two. The word that we read this morning says milk is for beginners inexperienced in God's ways, but solid food, red meat, is for the mature. Can I tell you a little something about me? You're not going to find this to be a surprise at all. I love steak. Mm, there is a heavy, heavy anointing on a nice piece of prime rib. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's God's food right there. Prime rib. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for prime rib. But I need to tell you this as well. There was a time in my life when I would have passed on the prime rib because I preferred chicken nuggets or maybe a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I can actually specifically remember that that when my brothers, my little brothers were elementary school aged, or maybe even preschool aged, I was a teenager at the time. Mom used to cook dinner for the family every night, and she used to order, every once in a while, she would order uh, steaks from Market Day at school. Do, Do you remember Market Day, the old standby here in suburbia, right? And so there were market day steaks that she would get and put under the broiler in the oven. And, and uh, oh, that, that was a good night in the Martinson household when we had the market day steaks. But my brothers were, were little, and so she would, she would boil some hot dogs for them. And so mom and dad and I would eat the steaks, and Tony and Andy would, would have the hot dogs. And what an exercise in opposites that is i can tell you with certainty that hot dogs are an abomination before the lord Um, but they were little so they preferred the hot dogs at some point though at some point in their life there came this point 
where mom stopped making two meals for the family. Can I get some amens from the cooks in the room, right? There came a point where mom stopped making two meals. It was red meat for everybody, right? Uh, and at first my brothers complained, can I just have a hot dog? Can you just microwave some chicken nuggets? But eventually they learned that whether it was market day steaks or whether it was pot roast or, or grilled chicken or whatever we were eating, eventually they learned well, that, that tastes better anyhow, doesn't it? <laughs> it just took a little while to get there. And I share that because it's kind of the same way in our spiritual life. A more robust or a, a meaty theology fuels the growth that our spirit craves. And it might seem like too much at first. But before long, you realize, well, that's exactly what my spirit was craving. <laughs> At first, we might say, you know, I was very happy with the mac and cheese. Thank you very much. But eventually, we discover, oh my goodness, this is what my heart is longed for. This, and I, I am talking about theology. I'm not talking about prime rib anymore. Okay? This is what my heart longed for. This, this is what I needed. It gives your spirit the energy it needs to grow and to develop a mature mind. But the growth it causes isn't just for you. I'm going to tell you a quick Bible story to tell you what I mean. The book of Acts chronicles, along with several other things, the missionary journeys that the apostle Paul took. And on one of those missionary journeys, Paul passed through a, a small city in, in Macedonia, northern Greece, called Berea. There's just a couple of lines in the book of Acts in chapter 17 about his visit to Berea. But look what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, now the Berean Jews received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. The significance here is that Paul came and shared the gospel and not only those uh, Jews in the synagogue who heard him speak came to faith, not only them, but Gentiles, Greeks, people from other nationalities, other backgrounds began to catch wind of what was going on. And they began to come to faith as well. The young believers in Berea did the work of theology. They listened to Paul, but they also checked with what he said. Does that coincide with what's written in the word of God? They fed their maturing minds with solid food. And as a result, I'm sure that their individual, uh, I'm sure that each one of them individually grew in their faith. But that's actually not what the passage said. It actually says more than that. The passage I read said that as a result of their diligence, even more people came to faith in God. There was a growth that, that growth that we talked about, the meaty theology fuels growth. It isn't just my growth, it's our growth. The community grows, the community is strengthened. If we want HRCC to reach more people with the gospel, I believe we need to focus on developing mature minds that have a meaty, robust theology. There's no need, church. There's no need to dumb the gospel down in order to reach people. And you know why? Because the world is asking difficult questions. They don't need a theology built on hot dogs and chicken nuggets. They need prime rib. 
So let's give them beautiful, accurate, godly answers to the questions that burn deep in their hearts. I guess I want to sum all of this up with with one final point. You've, You've already heard me say time and time again that growing up spiritually involves a lot of different things. We'll be looking at several of them this summer. But high on the list of things that are involved in this is the process of developing a mature mind. And I recognize that that might not sound terribly exciting to everybody in the room. You might not have come here to become a great theologian. And you might hear me, or you might feel like I'm telling you that we all need to start treating church like high school. Like, okay, next week I need everybody to bring their notes, uh, their notebooks, bring your books, and a highlighter, and make sure that you study really, really hard, because there will be a final exam. Okay? But that's really not what I mean to imply when I talk about developing a mature mind. I hope that today you'll understand I'm not here to give you an assignment. I'm here to invite you into a better way of receiving all of the good gifts that God has intended to give you. Because great blessings follow a good understanding of God. That's Really, the last point I want to make today, great blessings follow a good understanding of God. When we remember that, we can journey with excitement as we dive even deeper into the world of mature minds. I'm going to point you to a story that's told uh, a couple of places in the gospel, but most specifically in Luke chapter 7. It's a story of a Roman military officer who had become a very good, a very God-fearing man. And the people in the town where he was stationed, they actually came to care very deeply about this, this military officer. And so when they found out that one of his household attendants was gravely ill, the townspeople sent word to Jesus, and they said, would you come and, and pray over this man? We believe you can heal him. And Jesus agreed to come and see him. But while he was still on the way to this town, the Romans sent the following message to Jesus. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 7, verse 6. The Romans said this, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does. We don't know very much about this particular officer. This is the only part of the Bible that references him. The Bible does say that he was a generous man, that he was well-liked, and that he honored God. He had even paid to have the local synagogue built. And so he had become very popular among the people in the town where he was stationed. He'd never met Jesus before, but... It, It seems that he had read the scriptures and he knew truths about God. He would have known the story of Naaman, another foreign military officer hundreds of years earlier who had been healed by the word of God. He would have known the prayer of Jeremiah the prophet who prayed, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved. Where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. He would have known the words of the psalmist who wrote, He sent out his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. And as a result of knowing things about God, as a result of knowing these truths, he had a good, 
mature theology about God's power to heal by word alone. And so he sent the message he sent. And look how Jesus responded. The word says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and they found the servant had been healed. In this case, a miraculous physical healing came about as a direct result of a man of faith who had a mature mind that understood how God works. Church, how much more will we see God accomplish in our lives as we develop maturity in our minds? Always learning and adding to what we know of God. Great blessings are in store for us when we include our minds in our journey toward becoming fully mature. And you might be listening to all of this today and wondering how plausible it is. I I hope I've at least made a compelling point, but how plausible is it? Is it realistic? I mean, I've spoken a lot over the last two weeks about the importance of engaging your mind in your faith. I've spoken about the importance of reading, of studying, of learning. And I'm sure that sounds like torture (laughs) to some of us. But I want to be very clear as I move to close today that what I'm describing isn't an academic pursuit at all. It really doesn't have anything to do with with earning a college degree or learning ancient languages or memorizing long lists of irrelevant facts. That's fine in its own place, I suppose, but that's not what I'm describing today. What I'm describing is, is more akin to getting to know someone. Imagine the person that you know best. Maybe it's a, a friend or a family member or a spouse, the person on this planet that you know the best. You know the sound of their voice. You know their likes and their dislikes. You know and you can predict how they're going to respond in almost any circumstance. That's how well you know them. Can I remind you that no matter who that person is, even if it's a parent or a child, a close family, no no matter who it is, it wasn't always that way. There was a point when the relationship you had with that individual was was young. It was very, very brand new. It It was immature. You had to use your mind to get to know them over time. It didn't require a college degree. It didn't require any sort of academic preparation, but you had to engage your mind to get to know them. You had to observe them. Maybe you learned about them from others who at that point knew more about them than you did. You had to recognize how they were and what they were like. You had to engage with them in your own relationship. You had to work, didn't you, to develop the connection that you now have that feels like second nature. The 12 disciples that worked most closely with Jesus, we know more about some of them and less about some of the others, but on the whole, these 12 guys were pretty unimpressive, frankly, by the world's standards. None of them was particularly highly educated. 
Uh, none of them were overwhelmingly intellectual, as best we can tell. He probably recognized several of them made their living as commercial fishermen. No offense to fishermen, but is what it is. There were likely a few day laborers in the group. We know there was a low-level employee in the Treasury Department. <laughs> no one with particularly impressive resume. Yet these men are the ones most responsible for telling the world what Jesus was like. And even today, 2,000 years later, they still stand as the greatest theologians the world has ever known. The Word of God tells us that when they began to share that message, after the death and resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, when they began to tell people, here's, here's what he was like, and here's what his message was, the Word tells us that the religious minds, the, the academics of the day, took notice. Acts chapter 4.13 says this, when they saw the courage of the disciples and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's where a great theological mind comes from. Ordinary, unschooled, unimpressed, unimpressive men and women who have spent time with Jesus. They've spent time with Jesus. They've taken hold of that fact and that promise that the Holy Spirit has designed each one of us with not just the capacity, but the hunger, the ability to grow mature in mind. They didn't say, oh, I, I'm going to leave that to the pastor or the deacons. I'm going to leave that to the guy on the radio or the authors of the books. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to think about those things because, you know, I, I'm just a fisherman. <laughs> I'm just employee number four here. They didn't say, no, I'm going to leave that to somebody else. They said, I, I want to sit at the feet of the master and learn everything I can. And those were the greatest theologians we have. I call them fishermen theologians. It, it doesn't take much. If the Holy Spirit can develop mature minds in men like that, well, I dare say he can do it in any of us. And so I would encourage you today. My desire would be to encourage you to engage honestly with the word of God. To listen to what your pastor says, and just like those, those folks in Berea, to go home and pull out your Bible and figure out if he was telling the truth or not. To look into the work that the missionary is doing rather than just writing a check to say, I want to find out a little bit more about what's going on in that ministry on that campus. To find yourself a, a way of finding a Bible that you're going to spend time in. To look for podcast or a favorite author or some other way of just being challenged and encouraged in your own mind and saying, hey, I know what I know today, but I believe that God has some more for me. I want to I wanna put aside the preschool finger painting. <laughs> 
because I believe that there's a masterpiece of art that awaits those who would just be available and open, who would just be hungry. You know, sometimes it's going to take that, that discipline to not be embarrassed to say, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't get that. I've been in those rooms. Justin, I'm not throwing you shade, but I'll bet you've been in those rooms too. You walk in and you're like, what am I doing here? Because they're talking about stuff I haven't. What do we do then? I don't understand. Could somebody say that again? Where, where did you read that? What did you mean by that? Church, there's a blessing in that. There's a blessing in that. There's blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing in that. God has designed you to have a mind mature, full of meaty, robust theology, to know him, to know him, to know how to speak to him, to know how to speak about him, to know how to use good theoslogos, good theology, good God words as we develop a relationship with him. Any and every one of us can do it. Why? Because we're so smart? No. Because we were made in his image. And so I'd invite you to that today. Let's have prayer together. Father, thank you for creating us. Uh, using those words that the psalmist described fearfully and wonderfully. It's scary how good you do your work, God. <laughs> thank you for designing us with the capacity to learn. We, we come to you in the infancy of our knowledge not knowing too much more other than what an infant needs to get by. But Lord, it's the knowledge of your character and your very being that fuels us for spiritual growth because wherever we are today, it's not always going to be like that. We're going to need more tomorrow than we need today. And so Holy Spirit, would you do your work in our minds? Would you do your maturing work in our minds? Lord, I pray for the kids that are part of this church family, that they would have not merely a child-sized theology, but they would have a robust, deep, mature theology, such that when they go off to junior high or high school and suddenly the, the complications of this world get a little bit more complicated, Lord, they would have a firm foundation with which to meet those things. Father, we would pray the very same prayer over every age cohort, over every group. We pray for the students that Justin ministers to downtown. Lord, that as they graduate, they would go into the workplace, they would go into the, into the uh, workforce and in all the corners of the world, Lord, and they would be those testimonies of your goodness and grace. That they wouldn't struggle in that transition spiritually because, Lord, you have provided for them a faith that will fuel them for growth. Father, would you do the same for us? I don't know what tomorrow holds for any one of us, but I do know, Lord, that I'm going to need the assurance of your word to get through. So would you give me today what you need for me to grow and to become fully mature as I continue on that road? Would you do it for each one of my brothers and my sisters here today? Thank you, Lord, that this is how you have made us. We rejoice in that. And now, God... We ask your blessing on the food that we're about to share together. We pray your blessing on those who have been busy during this church service preparing it for us. I pray that you give us a fun day. 
a good time of fellowship, enjoy in the presence of our church family. We ask it all in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen, amen. amen.